Well, let's turn to the book of Isaiah. Chapter 2. And we will begin reading at verse 10. And read the next seven verses and then the last verse of the chapter. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 10. Enter the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. The proud look of man will be abased and the loftiness of man will be humbled and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. For the Lord of hosts will have a day of reckoning against everyone who is proud and lofty, against everyone who is lifted up, that he may be abased. And it will be against all the cedars of Lebanon that are lofty and lifted up, against all the oaks of Bashan, against the lofty, all the lofty mountains, against all the hills that are lifted up, against every high tower, against every fortified wall, against all the ships of Tarshish, and against all the beautiful craft. And the pride of man will be humbled, and the loftiness of man will be abased, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And then if you skip down to 22, stop regarding man whose breath of life is in his nostrils, for why should he be esteemed? Now these are sobering verses concerning a day of reckoning. And uh, although they were directed at the time that Isaiah wrote to uh, specifically the house of Jacob, yet he goes on, uh, or in this section, he says that... um, The Lord of hosts will have a day of reckoning against everyone who is proud and lofty, against everyone who is lifted up, that he may be abased. So this applies to all the world for all time. And it is an indictment of human pride. And as I was reading through this a few days ago, I just had to pause and consider yet how much pride there still remains in my life. And uh, I don't know how much it is, but it seems like almost everything gets some tint of pride mixed in with it. Some of that poison of pride uh, enters into so many things in so many ways that we're, uh, we're so used to it this is, this is the thought that bothered me. We're so used to it. I'm so used to it that I probably don't notice it. Now what I'd like to do tonight is just... Uh, actually, I'm going to read a lot of quotes about pride and humility uh, strung together with a few of my thoughts. But uh, just to to think on this subject a little bit again of pride and humility. I wanted to start by a quote from 
Robert Murray McShane. He said this, Oh, for true, unfeigned humility. There's a lot of false humility around. But, but McShane says, Oh, for true, unfeigned humility. He says, I know I have cause to be humble, and yet I do not know one half of that cause. Now, you've got to realize McShane, if you've ever read anything by him, you know he was a very godly man, a very uh, holy and humble person. And yet he says, I know I have cause to be humble, and yet I do not know one half of that cause. He's thinking of his sin, I'm sure. And then he says, I know I am proud, and yet I do not know the half of that pride. In other words, he was a godly man saying, I know I should be more humble. I know I should be less proud. Uh, And he says, I don't know the half of it probably, even as I'm contemplating these things. So, as we think about even these verses here in Isaiah, we can say this, we know that God hates human pride and will punish it. That's what he says here. I hate it and I'll punish it. There's coming a day. He says this also in Proverbs 16.5. He said, Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not be unpunished. Everyone, again, the idea everyone, nobody's going to escape this. Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. On the other hand, we know that the Bible teaches that God looks with favor upon the humble. It says this in Isaiah 66, 2, But to this one I will look, and God speaking, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Yeah. So you have the great contrast of pride and humility. One is an abomination to God. The other uh, attribute is something that God is, is favorable toward. Um, to this one will I look. So, I just want to share a few thoughts for us to consider here tonight related to pride and humility. Someone said this. I just read this quote recently. Uh, he says, there's two ways of entering a room. One way is, well, here I am. The other is, Ah, there you are. And to me, that is something of, or at least somewhat of what Paul is speaking about in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, when he says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than, them, than yourselves. Now, that is an incredible statement. I've been thinking about that one, too. What, how do we do this? How do we regard one another as more important than ourselves? Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So instead of being self-centered, you're other-centered. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Well, I'd say probably... Uh, next to the 
commands that Charles has been speaking on about loving God and loving our neighbor, uh, which is really very, very much tied in with what we're talking about here. There's probably no command in the Bible which has a wider sweep than this one. That what he just said, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. I mean, that covers the whole ground, doesn't it? Do nothing, uh, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than ourselves. Uh, it touches every point of our life. Uh, if we truly think about how it could be applied in every situation. We're to avoid selfishness and conceit and live lives of humble service to God and others. That's, I think, what the point is. Avoid selfishness, pride, conceit, and live for other people, for God and for other people. Self is not supposed to be the foremost thing in our minds, although that's a very human characteristic. Um... Selfishness is never to be the motive for what we do, although, again, how often is it? And unfortunately, this is true even in our so-called religious endeavors. Selfishness is never worse than when it puts on the garb of religion. And it does it all the time. I think that's surely why Jesus had his strongest words directed towards the religious leaders of his day because there's so much pride and so much selfishness associated with their form of religion. But we can't just think back to the Pharisees. How often, even in our seeming good actions, and in the causes that we think are virtuous and quite uh, religious, is there that selfishness that enters in, that uh, attitude of trying to outdo someone else? That's wrong. It's evil. It's sin. It's an abomination. And it certainly has no holiness in its real root and motive. Um, Again, we just have to hold these things up to our, our lives and consider what God would show us in these areas. I'm not uh, thinking about any particular person except myself. Uh, and I just see these things. I see this selfishness and this pride uh, so easily creeping in. Um, John Bashir said it one time, a long time ago, we were talking about pride. He said it's, it's uh, the last to go and the first to come back in a person's life, even in the Christian's life. I remember... Oh, as I was a new Christian, probably been a Christian for a couple, three years, and I read a book by Andrew Murray, and I'm going to quote him a lot tonight, but the book was called Holy in Christ, and it's really a good book. I would recommend it, uh, chapter after chapter of what it means to be holy in Christ. But 
my take on it as I was reading it and done reading it, I think I probably missed the whole essence of the book because I came away with the idea I'm purposing to be holy, holier than any other person. No matter what they do or say, I'm going to be holy. Well, that sounded pretty good on the surface, but as I thought about it more, I come to the conclusion that it was quite unholy, mainly because it was centered on self. And these things are subtle, you see. We can get rid of the more blatant forms of pride and still stumble in some of these subtle, more uh, outwardly religious forms. I thought this was interesting, and a lot of these quotes you just have to think about a little bit, uh, or a lot. Watchman Nee said, Genuine humility is unconscious. Genuine humility is unconscious. I think that's true of genuine holiness also. If, we're, if, we're, if we are striving in our, to be holy, there's probably a lot too much of the we there. Me, probably. Uh, particularly. Uh, humility, holiness, these are works of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And the way we have more holiness is to have more of Christ, not seeking holiness, seeking Christ. We get Self gets mixed in so easily there and if self could produce holiness or humility you can be sure that self would be proud of that holiness and humility so it wouldn't be true holiness or humility one way of looking at the world around us today is to just see the struggle between these two opposing character traits that of pride and humility it's all around us and there's a massive battle going on. The reason we must contend with Satan and evil spirits is because there was this one angel, Lucifer, who was filled with pride, and he fell. The reason that the human race has fallen is because Adam and Eve, following Satan, were filled with pride, desiring to be like God. So you have a, a, a whole human race following in the steps of this fallen angel. Satan is the ultimate in pride and a hater of all humility. Satan hates all true humility. He'll do anything he can to inflame you with pride. Because if you can do that, it'll result in quarreling, contention, strife, murder, all manner of evil and worldliness. The way our race is to be rescued, the antidote of Satan's poison is humility. One aspect of the titanic battle that went on there on the cross, that took place on the cross, 
involved satanic pride versus the humility of Christ. Have you ever thought about the cross that way? The pride of Satan. Now, it was manifested through the pride of the Pharisees and the pride of much of Jewish religion and the pride of Pilate and the pride of the Roman power all coming against Christ who was meek and lowly of heart, the Lamb of God. And on that occasion, what seemed to be happening, it appeared to be, pride appears to be strong and triumphant, while humility seemed weak and defeated. Yet, when it looks like pride is conquering humility, humility is actually conquering pride. That's what happened on the cross. You could think of it like this. The whole panorama of history and what, what we see going on in the world, it all started way back before Adam and Eve fell. Satan wanted to be like God. On the other hand, Christ always was God. Christ is God. Satan was cast out of heaven... Christ humbled himself and willingly left heaven. Satan brought pride to earth and with it death. Christ brought humility back to earth and with it life. Satan tried to tempt Christ there in the wilderness, in the desert, with pride. Christ responded with humble reliance upon God. Satan seemingly defeated Christ on the cross. Christ actually defeated Satan at the cross. But that struggle goes on in the human heart. The victory has been won by Christ, but every one of us have to deal with that struggle. It's an ongoing struggle amongst humanity. The fact is we were born with the poison of Satan's pride coursing through our veins. We're all been snake bit in that way. So if we're going to get the poisonous venom of Satan's pride out of our veins, we must look to the cross because that's where it was taken care of. That's the only way you'll ever take care of it. Andrew Murray put it this way, no argument, however convincing, no sense of the beauty of humility, however deep, no personal resolve or effort, however sincere and earnest, can cast out the devil's pride out of our lives, out of our hearts. Nothing can avail but the new nature in its divine humility. It is only by the indwelling of Christ in his divine humility that we become truly humble. It takes God, you see, it takes God to work true humility in our lives. Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. From that verse, we can see that there is no rest in pride because it must depend on self. Humility can rest because it depends on God. Learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What humility basically is, we're trying to figure out what humility is, it's taking our rightful position before God. Humility is taking our rightful position before God. First, it recognizes that we are creatures made from the dust of the ground. That's a good place to start if you want to get a sense of what humility is all about. We're, we're God's creatures. We're not independent. We didn't make ourselves. We're not here on our own. We're created creatures of God made from pretty lowly stuff. Dirt. I think it's interesting that the root of the word humble comes from a Latin word, humilis, meaning low or lowly, and that from the word humus, which means ground. So humility has to do with getting down low. And I think it's a recognition of where we came from. Even the name Adam in Hebrew, in its Hebrew origin, is from Adama, which means earth. So what's humility all about? Well, in the first place, it's me acknowledging that I am but dust that God has breathed the breath of life into. I'm totally, absolutely, 100% dependent upon him for everything. If it wasn't for him, I'd be a dust particle. But even more than that, and this is the incredible thing, I am disobedient dust. I'm responsible clay that was molded noble, made fearfully and wonderfully, but fallen, gone astray. I'm responsible clay. Not only are we totally dependent creatures with our very existence and survival being dependent upon God, we're sinful creatures, foolish rebels who have turned against a wise and holy and good God. We have to acknowledge that, you see. This is part of what it means to understand what humility is all about. We're high-minded when we should be low-minded. We should have lowliness of mind. We're proud because we believe the lie Satan's told us, that we don't need God. Any place, any area in your life that you act as if you don't need God, 
or think along that line. That's pride. You're believing a lie. The fact is that we're nothing in ourselves. We have nothing to boast in. And in fact, we should be very ashamed. We have much to be ashamed of. I think one of the characteristics of true conversion is that we get enough of a true view of ourselves to lay us low, to start working humility in us. That's part of what happens if a person's truly converted. It shuts you up. So humility comes with an accurate assessment of ourselves. I mean, a true accurate assessment, but we don't get that on our own. It takes the Holy Spirit to do that, to convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. Humility is accepting the truth about ourselves, that we're creatures, that we're fallen creatures, that we are shameful creatures, I think maybe that's why Jesus put poverty of spirit as the first beatitude. You have to see something of your spiritual bankruptcy if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, being poor in spirit means a complete absence of pride. Well, if it means a complete absence of pride, none of us are totally poor in spirit. But I know what he's aiming at here. Being poor in spirit means a complete absence of pride, a complete absence of self-assurance and of self-reliance. It is just this tremendous awareness of our utter nothingness as we come face to face with God. We look to God in utter submission to him and in utter dependence upon him and his grace and his mercy. So if we think about this as being what humility is all about, is it any wonder that pride is such an abomination to God, especially religious pride, taking pride in some kind of our own righteousness? As one man said, a proud faith is as much a contradiction as a humble devil. It's a total contradiction of what a true relationship with God is based on, which is the grace of God in Christ. If there's any pride there, you can be sure grace has not been seen very well because the only way you're going to be right with God is grace and there's no room for pride there. None of us have anything in ourselves to be proud of. Anything good that comes from us came from God. Well, I've already quoted a number of people, but let me just give you some more quotes here to think about. Augustine said, It was pride that changed, devil, that changed angels into devils, and it is humility that makes men as angels. 
John Blanchard said, There is no spirit in man more opposed to the spirit of God than the spirit of pride. Thomas Brooks said, The most holy men are always the most humble men. Andrew Murray said, Humility is that grace that when you think you have it, you've lost it. John Wesley said, All pride is idolatry. That's one to think about. Because you, what's the idol? The idol is yourself. All pride is idolatry. D.L. Moody said, God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, Humility is one of the chief of all Christian virtues. It is the hallmark of the child of God. And G. Campbell Morgan said, All God's thrones are reached by going downstairs. Well, this was short. I hope you'll think about some of these quotes from some of these men. Let me just read uh, some of the verses here that we began with. For the Lord of hosts will have a day of reckoning against everyone who is proud and lofty, against everyone who is lifted up, that he may be abased. The pride of man will be humbled, and the loftiness of man will be abased, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. No proud people in heaven. Proverbs 16.5 Everyone who is proud in heart and is, a, is an abomination to the Lord, assuredly he will not be unpunished. So it should be our prayer that God would have us to walk in true humility now so that we will not be humiliated in that great day.